American California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, this was a big week. The legislature passed Governor Jerry Brown's 16th and final state budget. The budget actually came very close to $200 billion for the first time, and probably by the time this podcast airs, we'll have reached $200 billion. I think we're talking about real money, Lewis. It's, it's a big chunk of change, and uh, Governor Brown's leaving his mark, particularly on community colleges where he's reshaping financing and is introducing an outcome-based formula, which will give some incentives for community colleges to bump up their graduation rates and other indicators of success. And also the local control funding formula, the school funding law that he championed and, of course, the legislature endorsed, and that went into effect five years ago, has reached a milestone. It's reached so-called full funding, and that almost certainly ensures that it will continue after he departs. Yeah, there's no question that Governor Brown's policies and his preference are imprinted on this budget. You can see it throughout. We'll be talking with Edgar Zazueta, who's the Director of Government Relations for the Association of California School Administrators to get his perspective on the budget. And we'll also be talking with Tom Armelino, who is the new director of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. He's taking over in a couple of weeks from Carl Cohn, and we thought you'd be interested to hear from him directly. But first, after negotiations with Governor Brown, the legislature did approve a state budget for the coming year that includes $6 billion more in one-time spending and ongoing increases for K-12 schools, as well as $500 million for community colleges. He also bumped up funding for both the California State University and the University of California, and it looks like that will help avoid tuition increases at both systems. Yeah, very interesting. That's that's the promise. If the money is there, there will be no increase. Well, it looks like it's there. And so uh, students who are paying those fees, a lot of students get uh, those uh, tuition waivers if they are low income, but uh, others who are paying full freight or a good chunk of those tuition will save a few hundred dollars. Let's go first to Edgar Zazueta from the Association of California School Administrators, represents superintendents, principals, and other folks who are actually running the school. Yes, we had a good conversation with Edgar. I had a chance to ask him what his perspective on the overall budget is. I think overall, this is a positive budget. I think the big takeaway, the big highlight is that the governor and the legislature should be commended uh, for keeping the word in their commitment in investing in the local control funding formula. I think that is the biggest takeaway that the governor, when he started this endeavor five years ago or so, he exceeded the timeline on getting us to full implementation. So I think that is the most positive aspect. The flip side of that and us in the education advocacy world will always remind the policymakers that while yes we got to those targets to do that target that those targets were probably insufficient to begin with so on one hand this is a positive goal that we've reached but we also don't want to give the impression that that we're done somehow that just because we we came to these targets uh, that were established that somehow we should stop investing in the local control funding formula or investing in, in the education budget in general so is that the problem with using the phrase full funding? We have fully funded 
LCFF, or local control funding formula. What does that mean, Edgar? These were arbitrary targets that were created uh, at the enactment of LCFF. There was a lot of us five, seven years ago that even when they were going back to the weighted student formula, who were saying that if we were going to create targets, that we should really be aspirational in what it is that we're trying that we're trying to accomplish in order to meet the needs of our students in, in our schools. And I think they essentially backed into those targets. They looked at Prop 98 growth and looked at what would likely be possible just on, on, on regular growth. And so you created these targets. The targets weren't necessarily based on need or research or even any determination on whether those funding targets would fully meet the needs of students in our schools across the state. Well, of course, the formula was passed before the pension negotiations were completed, right? And that's that was not taken into consideration. And then there are other ongoing increases for for students with disabilities. And is that why why districts aren't feeling particularly flush despite this seven years of increases? You can't walk into a meeting with superintendents or other school district officials and, and we talk about funding without the pension issue being one of the first things that they'll bring up. And, and you hit it on the head in stating that when we created LCFF, this was prior to the increases that were enacted by the legislature and by the governor that essentially, and we have to be real here, have eaten up a lot of that discretionary money that was intended to serve the needs of the the neediest students in the state. And I think that is, there's a lot of variables. Obviously, you look at local government in general, and there's healthcare costs, there's pension costs, uh, there's just your, your regular costs that continue to grow. You mentioned special ed, but I think it's fair to say uh, that the pension obligations have been one of the, the issues that have uh, really put an obstacle to truly meeting all the needs that we have in our schools. We're talking with Edgar Zazueta, who's Director of Government Relations for the Association of California School Administrators. But Edgar, K-12 schools already take up a huge percentage of the state budget. I mean, it's almost 40%. Yeah. Where would this extra money come from? And Governor Brown has been pretty, if there's any legacy, I mean, certainly part of it is that he's run a tight budget and has wanted to keep money in this so-called rainy day fund to prepare for an inevitable recession. You're right. Education, if you just look at the overall numbers, it would look like we're doing pretty well as a percentage of the budget. So sometimes it's not necessarily a question of what share of the pot are we getting? We really need to ask ourselves, is the pot big enough? I wanted to ask you about some of the specific measures here. I mean, the governor did include, or the legislature now, $125 million to address this uh, teacher shortage. Uh, do you see that as significant? Yeah, I, I think we, we see those as positive steps. Um, obviously, the teacher shortage is something that the system has been dealing with for a number of years. Scale is always going to be an issue, this funding that they put forward. But at the end of the day, it, it, these systemic issues like teacher shortage probably need to, they're a one-time solution in the budget. It's going to be hard to address it on that basis. But it is a positive step, I would say. I also see that the governor's included $100 million to expand facilities for kindergarten and transitional kindergarten. Everybody agrees that early ed is probably one of the best investments we can make, but that there's both administrative and I would say structural infrastructure obstacles to actually increasing how much uh, how many programs we have and and facilities 
is usually one of the issues that comes up that just given the specific needs that you have, let's say in a transitional kindergarten class or in an early ed class from bathrooms to just space to play area, that sometimes we just don't have the infrastructure to actually provide those programs. Edgar, looking ahead next year, we've already talked about, you know, the general issue of a need for perhaps more money. But what are the other one or two unresolved issues going to next year and a new governor that that you're focused on and you think will need attention? Yeah, I think I think the two issues that come to mind that will definitely be at the forefront is are we going to make any changes to the local control funding formula? You already saw a short discussion on dollars aimed at the lowest performing subgroups. Uh, which were targeted, I would say, to African-American students that aren't specifically named in the formula. I think that's going to be a conversation that continues with the new administration and the new legislature. And then the one piece that wasn't addressed in this budget is special education. I mentioned pensions, that you hear that issue from administrators around the state every time you speak to them. I would say number two, or maybe some 1A on that list, is special education. And the fact that the federal government isn't meeting the responsibility when it comes to special education funding and folks realizing that it's going to take the state to really address some of the funding inadequacies we have in special education. That was Edgar Zazueta from the Association of California School Administrators. John, the amount of money, the average that is going to students per capita has actually increased dramatically since Governor Brown took over. Of course, it was in the middle of a recession. But the amounts vary considerably district by district because some districts, many districts, didn't get these extra supplemental and concentration grants that are going to students with particular needs, low-income students and so on. They are just getting the funds equivalent to what they were making, adjusted for inflation, equivalent to what they were making almost 10 years ago. Well, I think that most districts got something because the average district in the state has 55% of those kids are are entitled to targeted for extra money, but they're not talking about the districts with, you know, 80, 90, 95%. They get significantly more. But as Edgar was saying, during this time, we had huge rises in pension costs and special education. They don't feel as rich as, as the as numbers it, would as, indicate. As it looks on paper, because there has been a massive increase in Prop 98 funds, right? Yeah, let's think back to when Governor Brown took over. His first budget cut schools $2 billion. That was before we passed the tax increase, and that was before the economy really started roaring again. So when we look back in, 19, in 2000, I think it was 11, 12, it was 47 billion. Now or next year, it'll be 78 billion. So it, there's no question there was a $30 billion increase for education, but it was a very low starting point. But I do have to ask you, Governor Brown has been predicting, I mean, every year, I think for the last three or four years, that a recession is around the corner. And it does really seem like it's around the corner because we are in the biggest economic growth period almost getting ever in American history. I think we're getting there, not quite there yet. So it's inevitable that there's going to be a recession. How is this going to affect schools? Well, you know, there is a cushion. Governor Brown's leaving with a full rainy day fund, about what, $11 billion, $13 billion, somewhere in there. And But if there's a recession, I think districts such as that are maybe you know, really counting on continuing increases like Oakland and LA Unified that are really assuming bigger, more money, because if it doesn't come, they could be in deep trouble. 
You mentioned Oakland there, John. I mean, Oakland is in deep trouble, even though it's gotten a lot of money from the local control funding formula, these extra supplemental and concentration grants. And that's because there's all kinds of other things that have gone on in the district, declining enrollment, more students going to charter schools, mismanagement on the part of the district over a period of quite a few years. And uh, so I'm not sure they are feeling, well, they definitely are not feeling particularly flush at the moment, just the opposite. They've been making cuts this year. And that has been the case at some other districts throughout the state. That's right. Not perhaps of this magnitude, but many districts are facing the same problem. But, you know, in the budget, there were significant changes for community college, not just increases, but really a different focus on the way the financing will be and some major changes. Talk about that if you could. Well, this actually was one of the most interesting parts of the budget. And uh, from a journalistic point of view, I say particularly interesting because we're going to have to see how this works. The governor actually came up with kind of a higher ed version of the local control funding formula to try to target some of the funds at the students who need the funding the most. So the idea, one, is to get some additional monies to community colleges that are serving low-income students. Where it's different from the local control funding formula at the K-12 level is that getting the money is actually dependent on some improvement on the part of the students as measured by transfer rates, completion rates within a reasonable period of time. Now, they haven't taken all the money, but it's a significant chunk. It's about $2 billion that community colleges will receive based on certain performance standards. The issue here is that this so-called performance-based funding or outcome-based funding has been used in different ways in many other states. And there's been a lot of research on this And the research doesn't really show that it makes that much difference. And so I think the key here is California is going to have to really learn from these other states. I know that they've adjusted the formula since Governor Brown first proposed it, I think, to take into account some of the potential unintended consequences. So, for example, you don't want to reward colleges with students who are from more affluent backgrounds who are going to have better performance outcomes, just given the nature of the relationship between income levels and educational accomplishment. So I think they've tried to deal with that, but I think this is going to be very interesting to see if California can make this work and that it will really have an impact on education outcomes. Yeah, Governor Brown has a real concept, and he wanted to take, you're right, from the local control funding formula for K-12, which had multiple measures of student achievement, and he wanted to transfer that to community colleges. It's different. And as you say, there is some experience and we're going to have to learn from it. I think that one of the things that Governor Brown and I'd say the leadership in the community colleges, Chancellor Eloy Oakley, really wanted to do is try to jumpstart this student success initiative, which really had stalled. Uh, we wrote about it at some length, Larry Gordon, about a year ago, and uh, that they need to do something different because the success rates of the community colleges are just not very high. Too many students are not completing their or not reaching their education goals, whatever those might be. Admittedly, some of these students are starting not prepared. It's a very open system. So the challenges for the community colleges are enormous. At the same time, the state is investing billions of dollars. And I think the, the both Governor Brown and Elo Oakley and others 
feel that something has to be done. So this as uh, this has actually generated some resistance on the part of some faculty and and uh, faculty uh, unions at some of the colleges, uh, rumblings about top-down kind of reforms. And uh, but I think that's to be expected in a 114 campus system. Yeah, it's a decentralized system, but now you have an impatient governor who's leaving, and you have an activist chancellor who wants to get going. So that's what we have. We have a. We now have change. We will be following this, uh, but obviously it's going to take years before we really know the impact of this reform. Yes, just like our current local control funding formula, it will take years to measure. Well, talking about reforms and local control funding formula, you know, a key part of the reforms at the K-12 level was really providing support to districts, moving away, and schools, moving away from this kind of top-down, sanctions-heavy approach of the No Child Left Behind law and California's own accountability laws that actually preceded No Child Left Behind. A lot of people forget that. But a key player in all of this is the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. It's a small state agency. Mike Kirst, who's the president of the State Board of Education, was a big promoter of this. Governor Brown has been a supporter. It's been headed by Carl Cohn, a, a veteran, and I'd say almost legendary educator in California. He was on the State Board of Education, former superintendent in Long Beach and San Diego. And Carl is stepping down in a couple of weeks. He told Governor Brown, hey, I will serve until more or less the end of your term, but then I'm moving on. So uh, CCEE, as it's known, has appointed Tom Armelino, who was the county superintendent of education in Shasta County for quite a few years, has more recently been heading up an organization called the National Association for School Superintendents, And uh, we caught up with Tom right after he was appointed, officially appointed by the state board and asked him why he took the job. There's many reasons why I took the job. The main piece and is, I think, in the word collaborative is part of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. As a former county superintendent and where I worked with 26 districts up in Shasta County and then as a district superintendent and and other roles as a school principal and a teacher. Uh, Collaboration has always been the key to being able to be successful and have an impact on students and so I was very intrigued when originally the CCE was developed. I was part of uh, Governor Brown's original, he had what he called a kitchen cabinet when he was uh, looking at helping to move forward the LCFF and and so I was part of that group and, and was very supportive of that work of uh, moving towards more of local control. And then as a county soup, we you know, was involved in that initial LCAP work as well, too. And, um, and so when this agency was created, it just made a lot of sense that to have an agency that was focused on collaborating and working collectively with other folks, trying to be able to use as many resources as possible to be able to help students succeed makes a lot of sense to me. It uh, resonates with me. It's something that's helped me be successful when I was both at the county and the district level. So it, it's not a very big agency, and its budget is, in the terms of how much is spent on education, is quite small. So which, what is the role of the collaborative in building local control? 
Yeah, I think the the role of the collaborative is really being is it's part of a partnership really with the California Department of Education and county offices. Um, and so, as I mentioned, with my experience being a county superintendent, county super, county offices play a fairly key role. It's it could be different, obviously, in in, in every county. Uh, but the goal here was to take all three of those entities and being able to try to figure out how to use the resources collectively of all of all of us together to come together and come alongside districts and charter schools and, and other county offices to support them in that work. Uh, we're talking with Tom Armelino, who has just been appointed to succeed Carl Cohn as head of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. Tom, I wanted to ask you, you know, this CCEE has just a, a humongous challenge because you are supposed to provide support to districts around the state who need help. There are many of those. California is a huge place. Is it really possible for a small agency, you know, to make a difference in a state the size of California and with so many districts and so many needs? Well, we won't be able to do it alone. It's not even just those agencies. I think the advocacy groups have lots that they can offer. I think other organizations out there like West Ed and some other, um, you know, some of the Carnegie Foundation and and uh, some there's lots of other folks who've been pretty heavily involved in this work. So being able to look at identifying kind of uh, alongside the district where the areas they need to improve, what's the data telling us, and then how we can facilitate those resources. Um, I believe that CC can can have a large impact. Wanted just to ask you, Tom Armelino. I think one of the biggest concerns and challenges for the state is the notion of equity, reducing the achievement gap. What is your take on that? Is is this something that you think is possible to really narrow or ideally close? And is that a short term, medium term, or long term? challenge uh, all the above <laughs> I think those are it is it is obviously that is the uh, especially in our most underperforming probably most of our in some of our larger urbans in particular um, I think often the more complex the system in the larger too that the, um, we see those examples exist we have had some success even over the last few years if you look at the state data you will see that that um, is beginning to narrow it is a large challenge um, it should be the um, the main concern of all of us, I think, because that has existed for a long time, um, and, and everyone is concerned about that work and, and talking about how we can do that. I think it's the same solutions. The solutions, I think, are very similar, um, is, is that as we start to go in and take a look at what's the data telling us, we already know that we're going to see some of that data, and then we can work alongside the district and try to figure out where some of the expertise and examples of folks who've done it. There are some large urbans who have had some success in that area and have been able to close that achievement gap. I think we can learn from that work, um, but that will be continue to be a large focus of what we do. That was Tom Armelino, the new executive director of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence, a tiny state agency with a massive job to provide support for school districts throughout the state. Obviously, they're going to have to be very selective in what districts they're going to be working with. Well, it's got to figure out its role. You have county offices of education. You have the California Department of Education as well, which are two larger entities. And here's this little, as you said, very small agency trying to figure out its leadership role in school improvement in a in a thousand districts with six million kids. And obviously, the biggest load is falling on the county offices of education. 
they they are really tasked with supporting districts in their jurisdictions. Right, and then figuring out, well, what are the role of universities? What are the role of nonprofits? How do districts share information with each other, create networks? It's a massive challenge, and I and there. That's right. It's the Janus decision. It's probably one of the most closely watched rulings of the Supreme Court. It out too. John, we're running out of time, but quickly. Potentially a big Supreme Court ruling this coming week? It will have a big impact on public employee unions. The decision will be whether or not public employee unions have the ability under state laws to automatically collect fees from all the members, all the workers that it serves. And so there are members who, there are actual members who pay full dues, and then there are others who simply pay fees, the costs of representing them. It's a big deal because it could, if the Supreme Court says, no, you don't have to, it violates your constitutional right of free speech, then will other employees begin to say, well, I don't have to pay my dues either, and it could weaken the unions. We'll see. Yeah, and it could have an impact, an immediate impact on the election season in terms of how much money the CTA feels it has at its disposal to invest in, for example, supporting Tony Thurmond and potentially other legislative races around the state. I think it'll have a dampening effect in the future. Its budget for this coming November may be set based on the money it's got already, but looking ahead over a longer period of time, I think there's a real question whether CTA will have the kind of clout that it has had in Sacramento over time. And that just about wraps it up for this week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. You can find us on iTunes and online at edsource.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.